Welcome to another of the 10 Minutes with Short Cood Street podcast that Jonathan Strawn and I have been doing forever, it seems. We thought we were going to do it for about five weeks during the lockdown, and it's still going on. And today, I'm delighted to spend uh, 10 minutes with Hugo-nominated, Locus-nominated novelist, short story writer, and uh, I guess now genre historian, Alec Neville Lee. How are you this afternoon, Alec? Uh, I'm doing fine, Gary. How are you? I'm doing uh, really well. Uh, I was uh, uh, thinking that um, every time a controversy comes up, and I don't want to spend time talking about controversies, but every time a controversy comes up regarding Campbell or Asimov, your book is like the go-to reference point now. Right. I've, I've noticed this, too. It's like every year or so, I get a big spike in my mentions on Twitter, uh-huh. uh, and it's, it's usually Campbell-related. And, uh, and, and I suppose that because Campbell comes up every year with the award, but, uh, you know, every once in a while, somebody will uh, point out Asimov's attitude toward women, which I gather was part of folklore forever in fandom, but really was never discussed openly until you did. Um, that, that's kind of my impression as well. I mean, I, I know that we have other things to talk about, but, uh, you know, the, the reckoning over Isaac Asimov's uh, serial groping and more of women is still has yet to be done, uh, has yet to be fully uh, grappled with. And I think it's only a matter of time. Uh, It probably is. You're right. But uh, let's get to the questions we were talking about, because I'm I'm curious about the kind of research, which I know you're deeply involved in now. Mm -hmm. But just during the the, the lockdown, what have you been uh, what have you been reading lately? And um, and what do you think of it? Well, so um, most of my reading these days is for work. Um, uh-huh. As you know, I'm, I'm currently working on my next book, which is a biography of the architectural designer uh, Buckminster Fuller, uh, you know, who's best known for geodesic structures like domes, right. but also, a, you know, key futurist, uh, an important figure in shaping America's idea of the future. Uh, a very complicated guy with a, a ton of primary source and secondary source material. So really for the past two years, it's been kind of like cramming for uh, like a final exam every day. Uh, I, 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 know my, I know my final term paper on Fuller is due in December. <laughs> and, it's, and right now it's about a quarter of a million words long. Uh, so I would say, you know, 95% of my reading these days is purely for that. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I do try to do some reading for pleasure, obviously. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I was looking at my, my bookshelves to kind of figure out what to talk about. And one thing I've noticed is that a lot of my uh, recreational reading uh, these days seems to focus on uh, books from or about the late 60s, uh, which I think is a period that has obvious parallels to our own. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff there that I, I hadn't ever read. And, um, I actually went to the beach for the first time with my family in a while. And I said, I've got all these beach books, you know, what should I bring? <laughs> uh, these little paperbacks that I, I collect. And uh, the two I ended up grabbing um, were uh, Joan Didion's uh, Slouching Towards Bethlehem and uh, Norman Mailer's Miami and the Siege of Chicago, neither of which I'd ever read. Uh-huh. And um, they're, they're fantastic. I mean, they're, they're gripping, wonderful pieces of reportage and, and journalism. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, they, they do resonate, you know, a, a lot of the ideas and the issues that they discuss seem very relevant today. And, and there are moments where I was like, I can't believe that it's 50 years later, we're still going over this ground because it, it is eerie. Like I, I can imagine well, it's either we're still going over it or it's, it's been resurrected. I remember thinking at the time, not with that mailer book, but with this other one, the armies of the night, right. Uh, which was about the F. 
the, the effort to levitate the Pentagon. That's right. And, and on the one hand, it was such a kind of 60s, off-the-wall, mystical uh, um, effort, uh, very much unlike what you'd expect from Mailer. But on the other hand, I can see people doing that today. I, I can see right. you know, the roots of, of, of the whole uh, uh, movement today, um, not just the Black Lives Matter and the um, uh, Antifa movement and so forth and so on. But there's a kind of mystical undertone to all that, isn't there? Uh, yeah, you know, and it's very strong. Um, I mean, you know, I uh, I read the Armies of the Night uh, about a year ago, kind of for mm-hmm. the same reasons. And you know, I, I should mention that there is a science fiction connection there that I don't think anyone's ever really talked about. Um, oh, really? Yeah. So the, the the sort of like the idea to levitate the Pentagon was the brainchild of a guy named Michael Bowen, uh, who was a organizer and friend of Timothy Leary and and a lot of these uh, countercultural figures. Uh-huh. And um, the idea, he credited the, the, the ultimate uh, inspiration uh, for the idea to a guy named John Star Cook, who was a mystic who was friends with Ron Hubbard back in the day. Oh, really? Yes. So, you know, there, there's it's this kind of, you know, what Barry Mollisberg calls the secret history of science fiction. You, you find these connections everywhere, even, you know, in places where you're not even trying to find them. So I remember reading that and I was like, oh, wow, I know that name. Mm-hmm. I was, I was talking to somebody else on one of these podcasts about Jack Parsons, the the, mm-hmm. the rocket scientist who was also a member of Aleister Crowley's group and was in. It, it just you know, you're right. There are these uh, linchpin figures that seem to that maybe unknown to most of us that seem to connect all these different worlds. Um, and, and and one of the things that leads me to to wonder about is all the research you've been doing about Buckminster Fuller, whose whole futurist, his whole technological imagination seemed to run in parallel with science fiction, but there were, were there significant connections between Fuller and the science fiction world? Um, it was all mostly one direction, like science fiction took inspiration from Fuller, but not right. vice versa. And, and you know, you, you look at, um, even in the 30s, the creator of Buck Rogers claimed that he got some ideas from Fuller's work. And later on, uh, you, you do see people referring to him. Um, he did cross paths with a lot of the writers that I've written about in the past. He, he did meet Hubbard in the 30s, which wow. is another interesting uh, intersection. He probably met Campbell. Um, he actually delivered a lecture at the Hubbard Dynetic uh, Foundation in New Jersey in the early 50s. Hmm. Um, and uh, he knew uh, he, he crossed paths with uh, Asimov, Asimov briefly, um, but he was very good friends with Clark. Uh, you know, uh-huh. he went to see Arthur C. Clark in Ceylon and um, they corresponded and, and they were friends. So. So, yeah, again, like it's it's kind of. You know, I'm not sure how much this will mean to the average reader of my Fuller biography, but whenever I see these names, I, I kind of try to include them whenever I can. Well, it's, it's something that I th- has always fascinated me is the uh, the, the movement, the, the magazine they call The Futurist. I guess it's still published, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, the, the whole Futurist movement was full of people uh, and names that... Uh, were barely known. Fuller was obviously very well known everywhere, but this, the idea that futurism and science fiction uh, didn't intersect nearly as much as you might have thought during the 50s and 60s. Yeah, well, one of my uh, secret dream projects, and I, I don't even know if I should be saying this, uh, but uh, you know, I've already written about Campbell and those writers uh, who kind of uh, stand for the future in science fiction. Uh, I'm writing about Fuller now, who stands for the future in popular culture right. and uh, kind of in the imaginations of America. And I would love to write a third book 
and I'm very serious about this, about the rise of futures studies and futurology kind of on the academic side and yeah. the establishment side. I think that would be an amazing uh, idea for a book. And, and I, I do want to pitch that idea at some point. It's well, it's something we'll remind you about in a few years. I would say I would say give me a year and a half or, or two years. And, and yes, but no, I, I'm dead serious. That is a great subject that I, I do want to tackle at some point. It is fascinating. Uh, the next question is, do you have things that you recommend for people just to de-stress kinds of books or, 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 or favorites that you return to? Yeah. Um, well, one thing I've seen um, mentioned about COVID is that people are rereading books. They're going back uh -huh. to their comfort reading, which I think is, is very true. Um, and uh, for me, my comfort reading, and this has been true since I was very young, has been Sherlock Holmes. Uh, uh -huh. I've been a, a big Holmes fan uh, you know, since I was in high school or even earlier. And uh, I love the original stories, but I also love the scholarship around the Holmes stories. Uh, so, so you probably know that uh, there's this interesting tradition of Sherlockian scholarship that assumes that the stories are actually records of factual events and that Dr. Mm -hmm. Watson made mistakes. Uh, and so it's like, why is his wound and, you know, his, his uh, bullet wound in his shoulder in one story and in his, his leg in a different story? You have to figure out how to reconcile this information. Right. The, the dates of the stories and, you know, the chronology of their partnership. So, so that stuff I've always found really fun. Um, and uh, my all-time favorite book is actually a book called uh, The Annotated Sherlock Holmes by William S. Baring Gould, uh, which came out, I believe, in the 60s or 70s. Yeah, that was one of the first of those annotated books. That, uh... Yes, yes. No, it, it's, it's a wonderful book. And every year or so, I will de-stress by taking three days off and just reading that cover to cover or as much as I, I can. Um, there's a more recent annotated uh, Holmes by Leslie Klinger, who's done a mm -hmm. bunch of these books. He did one for Dracula and one for H.P. Lovecraft, and he's right. great. Uh, the the Baring Gould one is my personal favorite. And uh, I actually, for my birthday, I treated myself to a two-volume collection of the original essays and papers that uh, you know these, these works are based on. It's called The Grand Game, and really? it was a limited edition uh, set that was published um, by the Baker Street Irregulars uh, that collects what are called, like, you know, sort of the canonical papers in Sherlockian scholarship. And and they're really fun. You know, they're, they're if you're a Holmes fan, they're diverting. But if you're also, like, someone who is interested in, like, the practice of um, literary theory, uh, you know, th these are wonderful, almost like parodies of close readings of these stories and, and kind of the act of reconstructing, uh, you know, the truth behind uh, Watson's recollections. So that, that's my answer. I, I, I love Sherlock Holmes and I love Sherlockian scholarship. Did you ever go to a meeting of the Baker Street Irregulars? You know what? I, I find them very intimidating um, because I, I, I've heard this secondhand. I haven't really met another Holmes fanatic, uh, you know, but I, I gather that even my knowledge of the Holmes stories is superficial compared to what these guys have. Um, they strike me as being very obsessive in a good way. You know, I, I love what they do and I would love to be part of that community, but I'm not there yet. You know, after, I, I, no, I, I after know exactly what you mean. 25 plus to. years of doing this, I, I as as a fan, I, I don't think I'm ready to have a conversation with uh, with uh, those super fans. Yeah, right. Exactly. Last question is, what have you got out? We know that uh, at some point, more than a year from now, we're going to see this Buckminster Fuller biography. Meanwhile, what have you got out that you'd like to call attention to? Uh, well, the one thing I want to plug, if I can, is um, so I've been a, a 
science fiction writer for a long time, long before I entered sort of the uh, science fiction historian biographer uh-huh. uh, mode. Uh, I've written short fiction for analog uh, for many years, and wow. I've always wanted to have a collection. And earlier this year, I was able to uh, put out a um, an audio original collection. Uh, it's called Syndromes, and it came out from recorded books uh, in the spring. It's available on, on Audible and other other sources, but it's a it's a wonderful audio collection of my 13 stories from Analog. And uh, you know the the two performers, uh, Jonathan Todd Ross and Catherine Ho, did a great job. And um, they're actually arranged in chronological order by the internal uh, timeline of these stories. And I actually went back and revised them all to include uh, connections and, and, and parallels that weren't there when they were first printed. So it's meant to be read as sort of a unified alternate history in some ways of, uh-huh. uh, of the past century, because the earliest stories go back to the 30s and the latest stories go to the near future. So uh, I'm very proud of it. I think it turned out great. And uh, so if anyone out there enjoys audio fiction, um, I'd suggest humbly that you check it out. Let's hope they do. And I've seen that there, there are more and more, well, maybe not more and more, but I've noticed a number of books appearing first on audio only in the last couple of years. And it's, it, it seems to, they seem to do very well. I think uh, uh, James Patrick Kelly had uh, either, I think it was a novel that originally appeared in audio only. Uh, so we'll we'll keep an eye out for that, um, and uh, and we've gone over. Of course, we always go over this. But again, this has been um, the Good Street Podcast, ten minutes with Alec Neville Lee, and thank you very much for joining us, Alec. Thank you. This was great.